0: Hey, good morning. I guess that's my cue to go ahead and start, since y'all got quiet on your own, I didn't have to get you quiet this morning. Um, so good to see all of you. So let's go ahead and just uh, go ahead and start our class a couple of minutes early. And we got a lot of material to cover, so I think that'll be a good thing. Take your Bible out, please. Uh, And turn to Mark 14. Mark chapter 14. We're going to start our Bible study. We have visitors here. We're certainly thankful that you're here with us. We appreciate it. Appreciate it very, very much. If you turn to Mark 14, let me just take a moment to review uh, our comments policy. Uh, Due to the COVID pandemic uh, we're in right now, uh, Brother Gary... Uh, It's not going to be passing around the mic, uh, and uh, I think that's a very wise thing. We're going to be limiting comments uh, tremendously in these classes. In fact, as I told you before, there will be very specific times, uh, maybe, in each class where we'll have comments. That probably will be a good thing if we limit our comments due to the fact we don't have a mic. It's going to be hard to hear people, and because we are recording the classes and if you do happen to make a comment, your comment probably won't pick up on the camera uh, and that would be a little awkward for people who are watching. Uh, So I'm going to be doing most of the talking in the classes. Uh, If there are going to be moments for comments, I'll let you know, but uh, they will probably be taken towards the end uh, once I'm done with all of the material. Uh, So please uh, just refrain from raising your hand or anything like that. Uh, so I don't lose my train of thought, and uh, uh, so I can just focus on the things I need to say, and I promise you if we have time, we'll, we'll try to do some of that at the, at the end. We are continuing with our second lesson, and a series of lessons that we're going to be doing for the next few months called The Last Week of Christ. If you do not have one of these workbooks, uh, raise your hand. I think we have some men that can get a workbook to you. Uh, so there are a couple of folks. I think, Chad, I don't know if you have somebody or not, but I think we have a, if you do need a book, put your hand up and uh, we'll get you a book. And uh, if you are a visitor and you just need a handout for today's class, uh, let us know. We'll, we'll maybe get you a handout just for today's class. But we are going through this book and uh, we are in lesson two of the last week of Christ workbook. As we've pointed out, there's a lot that goes on in the last week of Jesus, and we want to really get just beyond the surface of that information and dig deep and, and get as much meat off the bone as possible. Today, we want to look at what happened on Sunday. That would be the first day of the week, the Sunday of Jesus final week. But before we really dive into what happened on Sunday, we're going to say a few more things about what happened on Saturday. Saturday the Saturday before the crucifixion of Jesus. But before we even do that, we're gonna bow our heads right now and we're gonna have a prayer. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you so much for another day of life, another day of health, strength, opportunity. The opportunity to open up your word and study and grow and learn. We're so thankful for the very good lesson that Brother Doug brought to us earlier. We're so thankful for his preparation and his study. In his presentation, we're thankful for the time we have now to open up the Bible and study about the last week of our Savior before he was crucified. Thank you for revealing this information to us through your Holy Spirit. Thank you for preserving it. Thank you for allowing us to have the strength to study it together today so that we may grow and experience the fullness of Christ. Continue to be with us, God. We we pray for those who are unable to be here this morning but desire to. We pray for our country. We pray for our government leaders. We pray for our our police officers, our firefighters, those in our military. We pray that your hand of blessing be on our country. Continue to bless us, Father, with the religious freedom that we have today to share our faith and the study of your word without fear of persecution. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So, a few things we want to say before we talk about Sunday, the Sunday uh, of the final week of Christ. There's my clicker. A few things we want to say about Saturday. First, as we look at the timeline here, as we look at this timeline we're going through here in the Bible, and I've tried to the best of my ability to put this timeline together as accurate as I believe is possible. But as we look at this timeline that is given to us, in the, that we're going to be looking at in these studies, we need to understand where we're getting a lot of this information concerning the days from. We're really getting the specific days uh, from two of the Gospels, the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of John. So we need to be mindful of that, that Mark and John are the two Gospels that to... Uh, or at least a rough estimate uh, of or somewhat of an accurate estimate of what's going on on each day or as far as how many days we are from certain events. Now, another thing we need to say is in the case of Mark, in the case of Mark, Mark 14, when you read Mark's account of all this stuff and when you read what's going on in Mark 14, and really when you read the Gospels most of the time, it is important to understand that the Gospel writers are not really concerned with chronological order. Okay, We're concerned with chronological order, especially in our culture, but the Gospel writers don't really concern themselves with doing things chronologically. They're concerned with getting their specific message across to their initial targeted audience first and foremost. And so when you look at Mark, when you look at Mark 14, Mark 14 is not a chapter that is in chronological order. It is not. Let me give you some evidence to prove this. In Mark 14 in verse 1, Mark says, Now the Passover of unleavened bread was two days away, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to seize him by stealth And killed him, for they were saying, not during the festival, otherwise there might be a riot of the people. The feast of the Passover was two days away. Two days away from what? Well, this is where chapter breaks hurt us. Remember, when the gospel was first written, there were no chapter breaks. The chapter breaks were added much later. When it says two days away, it's talking about two days away from the previous chapter. Two days away from the Olivet discourse and from Jesus predicting the denial of, 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 um, of the destruction of Jerusalem. I'm sorry, predicting not the denial of Peter, but the destruction of Jerusalem. That took place on a Tuesday. So that would put us on Thursday. We're two days away to the Passover. So the previous chapter is Tuesday. Okay? We're two days away. From the Passover which takes place on Thursday evening. So that's important to point out because in verse 3 you have a flashback. You have kind of a parentheses from verse 3 all the way to the end of verse 11. Mark is putting a parenthetical there. He's giving you a flashback. He's letting you know that on Tuesday the, the chief priests and the scribes were determined to kill Jesus. They really had their minds made up to kill him. And now he's going to start with verse 3 through verse to the end of verse 11 and tell you how this came about. You need to know why they're so mad at him, why they can't stand him by Tuesday. How do we get to the cross, really? How do we get to what's going to happen on Thursday? Verses eleven through or three through eleven, according to Mark, he's giving you a flashback as to how this all got jump started. It all got jump started in Bethany. It all got jump started by what happened at the house of Simon the leper. That is what Mark. That is what Mark is doing here with his flashback. He tells you in verses one through two that the chief priests and the scribes are determined to kill Jesus. They're going to kill Jesus. We know that this is the will of God. That's a given. But how were they able to get to that point? Well, verse 11 through three through 11 tell you how we got to that point. It all started in Bethany. It all began with what happened at the the house of Simon, the leper. And so I want to make that point strong to you. You got to understand Mark 14 is not in chronological order. Verses 1 through 2, go connect back to chapter 13, verses 3 through 11, or a flashback. Then we pick up the story again, starting in verse 12, okay? Now, let's talk about this event on Saturday again, just a little bit, just a quick review. When we look at what happened on that Saturday at the house of Simon, we need to understand that while we focus on what Mary did, remember Mary anointed the body of Jesus, right? Martha is, is cooking a meal. Lazarus is there. Mary breaks open this expensive bottle of perfume and she anoints the body of Jesus. That's what we tend to focus on. That is an important event, it's a great event. It's a lot of lessons to be learned from what Mary does, but we need to understand that that information is only told to really emphasize what happens with Judas. What goes on with Mary is not the most important part of what happened at Simon's house. The most important thing that happened at Simon's house is how Judas responds to what Mary does. That's the most important thing. The the religious leaders were only able to get access to Jesus in a private setting because Judas is upset because Jesus smacked him down. Jesus smacked him down. Judas, you know, tries to put on this big charade of, oh, we should have given this money to the poor. Mary's being wasteful. And Jesus just smacks him down. He straight up tells him, you're wrong. You need to be quiet. What this woman did is good. He embarrasses Judas on this occasion. And that prompts Judas to be bitter. He's very bitter about this. And and he's gonna go out. He's gonna go and sell out Jesus. And Mark is gonna make this point when you read his account carefully, Mark fourteen, verse ten. Mark fourteen and verse ten. After Jesus said, "What she has done will be remembered forever when the gospel is preached." Then verse ten. You see that? Then. Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went off to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. They were glad when they heard this. Oh, we got an avenue now. We got what we were looking for and promised to give him money. And he began seeking how to betray him at the opportune time. Do you see what Mark is doing here? Mark is telling you why Judas went out to do what he did. He's bitter. He's upset about what happened at Simon the leper's house. And he he goes out and he he does this. Now, remember, he said we should sell this for 300 denarii. How much did he get from the chief priest? 30 pieces of silver. That would have been about 10% of 300 denarii, which is probably what he had been stealing out of the treasury, 10%. So just keep those things in mind. So John is is really trying to explain to us what's going on. you got to put yourself there mentally in the first century to really see this kind of stuff. Now go back to John chapter 12 because Jesus' rebuke is really what got Judas all upset and he starts really trying to get back at Jesus. I will say this and we'll say more about this later. I do not think what happened in Gethsemane worked out how Judas thought it would. I think he had this kind of worked out different in his mind, and it didn't work out the way he thought it was going to happen. We'll say more about that later. In John chapter 12, okay, John puts it this way as far as the timeline. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany. It is my understanding that John's account here in John 12 is parallel to Mark's account in Mark 14. John has given us a more precise date as to when Jesus was at the house of Simon the leper six days before the Passover. Now, when the Bible mentions days, when the Bible mentions days, especially to the Jewish mind, part of a day could be considered a whole day. That's important to remember that because that will be critically important when you get to Jesus spending three days in the grave. Well, he didn't spend three literal full days in the grave, did he? He really spent about a day and a half, if you look at the, the, the time, time, the, the literal amount of time. But the Jews recognized Friday, part of Friday as a whole day. He was in the tomb all day Saturday, and then he was raised Sunday morning. That's three days, according to the Jewish thought and terminology. So remember that. So when John says six days here, when he says six days before the Passover, which would take place on Thursday evening, This could mean that Jesus arrived at Simon's house Friday night, okay? He could have arrived there Friday night. If he did travel on Saturday, he would have traveled probably no more than what the Jews called a Sabbath day's journey. You ever heard of that? It's in the Bible. Sabbath day's journey, that would have been about the amount of time it would have taken to get from the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem or even Bethany, okay? So it's possible Jesus could have traveled some on Saturday. If he did, it would have been a Sabbath day's journey. Regardless of whether you say he got there Friday night or Saturday, I think it's very clear that the events at Simon's house took place on Saturday. It took place on Saturday. On Saturday, Mary anointed Jesus' body, On Saturday, Judas was provoked to go out and betray Jesus. On Saturday, Lazarus was presented to the people who had come to Bethany. On Saturday, the enemies really start getting a little disturbed, and they're determined to kill both Jesus and Lazarus. And so Jesus will stay in Bethany from Friday evening. Maybe he gets there Friday evening, let's say. And he'll stay there to Sunday morning. Now, for our lesson today, we want to move from Saturday and we want to talk about what happened on Sunday morning. In our lesson today, this is what we're going to focus on we're going to focus on the entry, the triumphal entry of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. We're going to focus on the reaction of the Pharisees when Jesus enters into Jerusalem. And we're going to focus on the weeping of Jesus, the crying of Jesus, and why he did that. This day, this whole day with Jesus on Sunday really jumps off with Jesus making preparations to enter into the city. And so go to Matthew 21. I want to go to Matthew 21, please. Okay, let's read the first 11 verses. The the Sunday of the final week begins with Jesus making preparations to go into Jerusalem. He's been staying away from Jerusalem for a couple of years. Had he gone to Jerusalem any sooner, he wouldn't have made it for three years. So this is the will of God that he stay out of Jerusalem until now because he knows it's time to die. There's a timeline that God has his son on. Verse 1 says, when they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethphage, At the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken to the prophet Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a, beast of, a, of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus, just as Jesus had instructed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them. And he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowd's going ahead of him, and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. You know that song we sing, Hosanna? It comes from this right here. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth and Galilee. Okay, so what we want to do now is we want to focus on these questions that's in your book like we did last time. The first question, I think when we go through these questions and look at all this material, I think it'll give us at least a good idea of what happens on Sunday, okay? First, who did Jesus send to get the cult? Well, Matthew 21 and verse 1. Mark, write this down, Mark 11 in verse 1. Mark 11 and verse 1, Luke 19, 29, Matthew 21, 1, Mark 11, 1, Luke 19, 29, they all say the same thing. Jesus sent two disciples. He sends two disciples to go and get the colt, to go into Jerusalem and get get the colt. This occurred when they were at the Mount of Olives. Now, remember, this is how Jerusalem looks today. The reason I'm showing you this is because this, is how Jerusalem will look to you if you were standing at the Mount of Olives. This is actually a picture that I took of Jerusalem while standing in the Mount of Olives. This is, how, this is the view you have. So you're in the Mount of Olives and here's Jerusalem. you got to go across the Kidron Valley. You go across the Kidron Valley, the, the, the Garden of Gethsemane will be at the base of the Mount of Olives, you then go across the Kidron Valley, and then you go to the city of Jerusalem. And so, the Mount of Olives—you remember what I told you—that's the view you have today. Instead of the temple being there, you got the Dome of the Rock, right? That's this dome building here. That's where Solomon or Herod's temple would have been in the first century. The Muslims control this now, and they'll be fighting the Jews, and uh, and the Muslims will be fighting for this until the Lord comes back. But you're from the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane is at the base, the Kidron Valley, and now you have Jerusalem. So Jesus sends them from the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem. You go into Jerusalem, you get the colt. If someone asks you, why do you need these things? What was the answer very quickly? What were they to say? The Lord needs them. The Lord needs them. The Lord has need of these things. Once they gave that answer, it was, it was supposed to be no problems, right? The Lord has need of these things. Where did the disciples find the cult? Well, the text says, when you look at what the text says, and put this is what you also find in the Gospel of Mark, Mark 11 and verse 2, Luke 19, 30. So you got Matthew, look at Matthew 21:2. Matthew 21, verse 2 says that they go into a village. You see that? So you got Matthew 21, 2, Mark 11, verse 2, Luke 19, 30. They go into a village, and it's going to be tied with its mother in the street in front of the door of a house. And then what it says? Go into a village, Going to find the colt with its mother, In the street, in front of the door of a house, Jesus says, I want them both, the mama and the baby. You bring them both. Now, the finding of this cult is important for two reasons, and both of them have to do with the foreknowledge of God. First, as the scripture tells us specifically, Jesus doing this, all of this going on with Jesus and this cult is a fulfillment of prophecy. And the prophets say this was going to happen. The Messiah was going to come into Jerusalem mounted on a beast, on a colt. Isaiah, Zechariah, Zechariah 9, this is a fulfillment of prophecy. God foretold this hundreds of years in advance. But another thing that you see here is the foreknowledge of Jesus. You see that? Jesus tells them exactly where it's going to be. And exactly how all this was going to take place in bringing him the cult. So you see Jesus' foreknowledge as God as well. So you find the foreknowledge of God, the prophets, the words of the prophets are being fulfilled. And the specific words of Jesus on this occasion are fulfilled exactly how the apostles thought they would. I can only imagine how, as the apostles are making their way from the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem. They're wondering, you know, is this really going to work out the way the Lord says? And when they get there, they find these animals exactly where the Lord says they're going to be. And everything works out exactly as he says. So the foreknowledge of God is present on this occasion. Question three, what did the disciples do to the cult before they sat sat him on it? Matthew 21 and verse 7 says, they laid a garment or garments on both animals. Garments are laid on the animals. Why? Well, probably for padding. In the case of the colt, no one had ever rode it before. So it needs to be padded. And in case you're wondering or maybe you're thinking that Jesus is riding both of these animals into Jerusalem. No, that's, that's not what was happening what is probably happening is Jesus is riding the colt while the mother moves along with him. Does that make sense? The colt would be more cooperative in that sense. So Jesus is riding on one animal and bringing another one along. But both have garments on them or, or, or padding on them, but Jesus is riding one animal. He's riding the colt while the mother comes along with her child. Now, question four, when the people saw Jesus riding on the colt, how did they respond and why did they respond in this way? Someone just quickly give me the answer to this. What did the people of Jerusalem do when they saw Jesus riding from the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem? How did they respond to that, somebody? They They praised him. They praised Jesus. Look back at the text again. Matthew 21, 8, it says the crowd, most of the crowd, most of the people, spread their coats in the road. You see that? Match that in your mind. They're putting their garments in the road. That's showing reverence for Jesus. And others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. He's getting the red carpet treatment, isn't he? Putting their clothes in the road, putting Branches in the road. This is all reverence for Jesus. In the verse 9, they're also shouting, Hosanna. Remember that word. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. They're praising, praising Jesus. Look at Luke 19, please. Luke chapter 19, verse 37. John also talks about this in John 12 and verse 13. John 12, 13, but in Luke 19, 37, it says, As soon as he was approaching near the descent, the descent, coming down from the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen. They remembered the miracles, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones, the stones will cry out. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. What had been a very hostile city for the majority of his ministry. He comes into Jerusalem and the people give him a great welcome. They spread their garments out. They spread branches from trees on the road. They praise him. Hosanna, Hosanna. They're they're giving him great treatment. Why? Well, because they believe in him. These people believe in Jesus. They believe in him as the Messiah. They believe in him as the son of David. They believe that he's not just a prophet, but he is the prophet as Moses spoke of in the book of Deuteronomy. They believe that. Now, this is a scene that the apostles struggled with the apostles see all this going on and they struggled with this I want you to go to John chapter 12 John chapter 12 remember we're trying to dig deep and really consider what goes on in the last week of our Savior John 12 verse 12 John 12 12 says on the next day this is after the event that took place at Simon's house on Saturday the large crowd who had come to the feast when they heard Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Call him the king of Israel. You see that? Jesus finding a young donkey and we see how he found that donkey based on what we read in the other Gospels. He sat on it as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. That's a fulfillment of the words of the prophets, the words of Zechariah. These things his disciples did not understand at first. You see that? They don't get it. It doesn't, doesn't make sense to them right now. But when Jesus was glorified, when he was glorified, when he was raised, then they remember these things that were written of him and, they, and that they had done these things to him. So the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continually testified about him. So this doesn't make sense to the apostles initially, does it? They don't get it. It doesn't all make sense. None of this makes sense. Not even his death makes sense until he's glorified. Until he's raised from the dead. That's what the text says. So we go to question five who all composed of the multitude praising Jesus as he traveled from the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem. Well, the text specifically says what we just read in John 12, 17, and 18. These are the people who knew what happened with Lazarus. Now, you see why that miracle was so important? Jesus waits four days. Before getting to Lazarus, he he on purpose takes his time getting there. Why? Because he wants to leave without a shadow of a doubt that this man is dead. His body was even starting to smell. So there's no doubt Lazarus is dead. And Jesus reaches into the realm of Hades. And he pulls him out of there. He raises him. And the people, remember the night before, a lot of those folks come to Bethany and they want to see Lazarus. They want to see the evidence of Jesus' power to raise the dead. And those people are convinced, as I think we all would have been convinced. And so you, you got, that helps you understand why they are so excited about him on Sunday. They're so excited about him because of what happened the day before. There is Lazarus. Only a man of God could do that. This man has to be what he's claimed to be. He has to be the son of God. He has to be the king of Israel. That's why they're giving him this great, glorious entry into Jerusalem. Do you you see that? So this crowd, this crowd is comprised of people who believed in Jesus because of what happened with Lazarus. These are some people who were gathered outside of Simon's house. Now, you contrast them with question 7. How did the Pharisees? The men who knew the Bible better than anybody else allegedly were supposed to have, how did they respond to this? Somebody tell me. We see that many of the Jews give Jesus this great entry. How did the Pharisees respond? They didn't like it. They were resentful. They didn't like it at all. In fact, they ordered Jesus or tried to order our Lord to shut his disciples up. They say, you should stop these people from praising you as the king of Israel. Jesus says, I'm not going to do that. If they be quiet in the stones, are going to start shouting. The Pharisees are still resentful. They're very resentful. Do you see that? No matter what Jesus does, they're determined to destroy him. They hate him. They want him out of the way. Even though Jesus raised a man from the dead and everybody knew about it. They don't, they, don't, they don't want to believe it. So they're very upset. Now let's talk about this word, Hosanna. The word Hosanna. They say, Hosanna, Hosanna. We sing the song Hosanna today. What does that word mean? Well, it's important to understand that that word Hosanna is also found in the Old Testament. I gave you a reference there. Psalm 118, 25 and 26. Does anybody have Does anybody have a meaning? Did you write down the meaning of the word Hosanna? I'm sorry? Save, now. Save us now. Absolutely. It is a Hebrew and Aramaic term, and it came to mean save, save us now, help us now. As the Jews used the term throughout their history, as we see it as early as the Psalms, it came to be a cry of happiness and praise. So it, it would make sense they're shouting Hosanna, save us now, help us now. But they're saying it with joy, with gladness, with celebration. This is a joyous occasion because the king of Israel, the redeemer, has come in. Save us now. Help us now. This is the Messiah. That's why they're using that term. Makes sense. Now, let me just say this, too. It is interesting. And maybe you find this interesting. How the scene you find on Sunday is going to change dramatically by Friday, isn't it? Isn't that sad? You know, right now Jesus is getting the treatment that he's due. He's due. He is deserving of that treatment. If anybody deserves it, it's Jesus. But by Friday, you're not going to hear people shouting, Hosanna. Hosanna. Instead, you're going to hear people hollering, crucify him. He saved others. But he can't save himself. Let him come down off the cross and we will then believe in him. A lot's going to change in a short amount of time. That's how the devil works, isn't it? He can work fast. And he can persuade a lot of people to do evil quickly. That's what happens. Question eight and then question nine. Then we'll see if you have any comments, other comments you want to add. What did Jesus do when he approached Jerusalem? Why did he do this? So what did Jesus do when he approached Jerusalem? He wept. He wept. That was one of the things we want to talk about, the weeping of Jesus. Jesus wept. Can somebody tell me why he wept very quickly? Why did he weep? He knew what was coming. He knew what was coming coming to, to what? He knew what was going to happen to Jerusalem. That's exactly, that's exactly right. You look over at Luke 19, please. Go back at Luke chapter 19. In verse 41. So this is all happening on Sunday. So Jesus has come through the crowd of people. He's been praised. Hosanna, the king of, the king of Israel, the, the, the son of David. And then as he continues on, he approaches Jerusalem. And he saw the city and he wept over it. He's saying, if you had known in this day, even you, Jerusalem, the city where the temple is. The things which make for peace. But now they have been hidden from your eyes. They've been hidden because they they, they didn't want to believe. They wanted these things to be hidden. For because you won't see the truth about me, Jesus says, the days are coming when the enemies." The enemies, there's a reference to the Roman army. The enemies will throw up a barricade against you. That's exactly what happened here, as history tells us. And surround you and hem you on every side. That's what the Romans did to Jerusalem. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another. That's a reference to the temple being destroyed and the whole city being destroyed. Because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. You didn't recognize when the Messiah was among you, because you rejected me, Jesus says you will suffer. Now, I know we all, we, we like to say this, and it's true, we all played a part in Jesus going to the cross. Jesus died for us. That is true. I don't deny it. But let's also make the point, what the point the Bible makes, that the Jews were the main ones who were responsible for this, and they were going to suffer because of it. That's just Bible. God destroyed Jerusalem as a nation in 70 A.D. through the Romans because they rejected Jesus, and they were the main instruments that were used by Satan to put him on the cross. They should have known better. And God wiped them out as a nation in 70 A.D. That's what Jesus is talking about. Jesus, again, foreknowledge. Foreknowledge. Jesus can see this. He knows this is going to happen. And he grieved over it. It hurt him. Because even though these people, most of these people can't stand him, he still loves them. So Jesus Christ. Now there are three times in the Bible where Jesus Christ that we can read about. One time is here. The other time is with when Lazarus died. Shortest verse in the New Testament. What does it say? Jesus wept. Hebrews 5 and verse 7 also says. That in the garden, Brother Doug preached about the garden this morning. In the garden, Jesus prayed in agony and tears. So Jesus prayed in the uh, or cried in the garden. He cried when Lazarus died, and when when comforting Mary and Martha. And then he cries here. He cries because he knows judgment is going to come on the Jews. Question nine: Where did Jesus go upon entering the city that day? Well, the scripture says Mark eleven and verse eleven. Mark eleven eleven. he goes to the temple. He goes to the temple. And after spending some time in the temple, he then goes back to Bethany. Probably goes back to stay with Mary, Martha, Lazarus, maybe Simon. So you got to you got to get this image in your mind. On Jesus last week, up until the point that he's betrayed, he's going in and out of Jerusalem. He's going in and out of Jerusalem. He is starting in Bethany, which would be over here, through the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem to the temple to teach, to teach. He goes to the temple every day to teach and to get into these debates with the religious leaders, which we're going to study, have a couple, about two or three classes on that. But all this goes on at the temple. So Jesus goes from Bethany to the temple, teaches all day long, Leaves the temple in the evening, goes back to Bethany to get some rest. The next day, leaves Bethany, goes back to the temple teach. Teaches all day, goes back to Bethany to get some rest. He does that all the way up until the time he's crucified. So that's what, that's what Jesus is doing. Now, four things I want to say real quick, and then we're going to close. If you want some application here, think of these four things. When you study this Sunday, remember Jesus deserves praise. He deserved Hosanna then, and he deserves Hosanna today. He still saves. He still helps. He still delivers. He deserves our praise every time we come into this place. He deserves our our praise every day of our lives. Secondly, the miracles testify of Jesus. The Jews at this time are believing in Jesus because of his miracles, because he raised Lazarus. That's the same evidence we've been given to consider today. We'll talk more about that in our study this morning. Thirdly, Jesus fulfilled the words of the prophets. We find Jesus here fulfilling the words of the prophets, Riding into Jerusalem exactly the way the prophet said. Jesus fulfilled every word of the prophets. There are at least 100, at least, probably more, but at least 100 prophecies that are made concerning Jesus that we can read about him fulfilling in the New Testament. He's the Messiah because he fulfilled prophecy. And then fourthly, Jesus is emotionally invested in all people. He was emotionally invested in Jerusalem, even though Jerusalem hated him. He's still emotionally invested in you. He still looks at you and cares about you. The question is, when he looks at you from heaven, does he Feel joy and gladness because you're serving him or does he weep because he knows you're being just like the Jews. You're rejecting him and he knows what's coming if you don't turn away from your sins. So let's stop right there. Oh, man, every time I got to stop saying that, Mitch. I got to stop saying I'm going to give people time to talk because I talk too much. So um, so uh, just forgive me for that. But we got through that lesson and uh, we're going to move on Wednesday.